Good evening. Good evening. I'm sure many of you have heard uh, Pastor Chuck Smith passed away at 3 o'clock this morning. 86 years of age. They say it was the lung cancer. Uh, Gil was telling me that he taught three services Sunday, you know, and was on the pastor's perspective, you know, and just until the end. I mean, he just really, um, that's kind of how he's always been, just a person who never complains, just kind of was there, uh, you know, faithful servant. Uh, He had a tremendous impact on our culture, uh, and I think on many of our lives, and so we want to Lift up the Smith family, that the Lord would comfort them and bless them. You know, there is hope and there is assurance uh, that comes in Christ, but there's still the sorrow. So let's pray. Father, we do lift up the Smith family, Lord, all those who are impacted by this loss in such a personal way. Lord, he has touched so many lives and father the the loss cannot be cannot go unnoticed and so we do thank you for his faithfulness lord what an example to us and again bring comfort to those in his family right now lord may you sustain them with your love and your power may you bless this evening and the time we have here lord thank you again for your faithfulness. Lord, may we too be used by you and be able to influence the world around us. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in John chapter 3, continuing our time in the book of John. And I wanted to start off tonight by basically talking about something I failed to talk about last week. And as I was going over and listening to what I shared, I was aware, I'm always aware of things like, oh, did you really say that? But one of the things I I didn't say, and I think it's important, I was hoping to get further along in the passage, and so it was in there to come about, but it didn't come about. When we talked about being born again, and we talked about that relationship that is brought about um, by coming to Christ, being born anew, and we talked about it is to undergo a radical change that is like a new birth. It is to have something happen to the soul, which can only be described as being born all over again. And the whole process is not a human achievement, but it comes from the grace and power of God. I talked about the relationship that we encounter with God begins to change us, but That relationship is only made possible in its entirety by the new covenant, and and that is the atonement, the work of Christ. And so that's an important part of that conversation that I really didn't key in last week, and we're going to talk about this week. But I just wanted to preface this so that we understand that it's not just a matter of knowing God. We still have to deal with who we are. And we still have to deal with the broken 
condition that we're in, the, the sinful nature uh, of man. And we're all aware of it. it. It's not a mystery. And just having awareness about God wasn't enough to change the nature. It took the atoning work of Jesus to be able to overpower that nature within us. There was power in his life, there was power in his death, and the power is proven or is known by the resurrection. And so as we move forward, keep those things in mind. We're talking about the new birth. We're talking about establishing this new life with Christ. It's made possible because of what God has done. I mean, we alluded to that, but I just didn't touch specifically, I don't think, on the cross or not as well as I wanted to. And so in verse 9, we're going to kind of start again where Nicodemus said, how can these things be? How can you be born again? And, And again, we see that there is this mystery involved in what's going on and Nicodemus is trying to figure out and he's having a hard time. And in verse 10, we'll read 10 through 15. It says, Jesus speaking, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him." Let's stop there and let me ask you, in these verses from 10 to 15, are there any questions about these verses? Anything that stands out to you that you would like to talk more about? And we'll try and cover those things that you want to talk about as I get my notes. Mary? Anyone else? Any other Things stand out to you that you would like to, I mean, I'm going to talk about some stuff, but if there's stuff you want to talk about, this this is our chance. And then when I talk again, if there's questions, we can always deal with this. So the correlation between the lifting up of the snake and the Son of Man, what else? Okay, so let's go. First of all, Jesus, again, it's not really a slam or a put down, but it's enlightening us when he says, you're Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things. What does that leave you a conclusion of? If here is the one who is teaching Israel, and he doesn't understand, what does that mean? Lola? If the teacher is not giving them what they should, then how is anyone going to know? So if the teacher doesn't understand, then the people probably don't understand. And we get an idea of that because he uses the words we in verse 11. We speak and we testify and we have seen. And then on the contrary, you do not believe. And so this we he's talking about, you know, it's 
thought of, of course, himself and maybe those who are now following him. Those are the disciples. Some even believe it's him and the prophets that he's been referring to. Uh, You should know these things. Um, But there's definitely a dynamic. If the teacher doesn't know, then the odds are the people don't know that the teacher is supposedly teaching. And so he's bringing kind of a, a... awareness that there is darkness on the minds of these people to what God is doing. We talked about that uh, a little bit last time, this having an informational connection to the law and thinking that if you just know the law well enough, it will make you right with God. And it ended up being the focus instead of the heart of the law getting the people to be connected to God. And so if the teacher doesn't know, then they're in bad shape. And they're speaking, Jesus is speaking what we know, they're testifying to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Who is you people? The Israel's teacher, not just the Jewish people, those who are supposedly the leaders, you people. You who are supposed to be teaching don't know. We are talking about what we can, we know about. We're testifying the things that we've seen, but you people don't accept our testimony. And so those who should be the voice of God are not accepting the testimony of God. And so you've got a problem. Okay, you've got a serious issue here. Those who should know are not in the know. And so it's going to cause some problems. And he says, I spoke to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Oh, and it's his birthday. Is it Miles' one-year-old birthday today? Happy birthday, Miles. Everyone say happy birthday, Miles. That got him to stop crying. Everyone's got to keep clapping, though, otherwise... And so the earthly matters, he was talking again about being born again. The wind blows where it wills and you you can't see it, but you know that the wind's blowing by what happens. So is a person who is born of the spirit. You don't know what's happening. You can't see what's happening inside them, but their life is showing the change that takes place. And that's the, the testimony of God doing a work in a person's life. You know, this new life that he's talking about, it is a mystery. I mean, heavenly things, just the the terminology, we're talking about things that are a mystery. And when it, it's a mystery, it, it's things that are, are difficult to put our finger on. There, there are things that we are aware of, but they're a little bit unique in their nature. They're, they're not what we are accustomed to naturally. And... and Everything really is spiritual. And what Jesus is trying to do is bring Nicodemus into the conversation through the earthly things and show him the correlation that these things are happening spiritually as well. I was thinking about just this idea of mystery and faith. And it's amazing because even science, think about it, isn't it? necessary for there to be mystery in science? Isn't that what causes a person who's a scientist to want to find out what will happen or why this happens? 
It's not like they know everything, right? Otherwise, why would you do experiments? If you knew everything, you wouldn't need to. But let's see what happens if we put baking soda and vinegar together. It's cool. And if you don't know, go home, try it in your kitchen. Um, put it in a container, though, and close it. I'm kidding. Don't do that. It will explode. But it's cool. Yeah, there's other things. I'm not going to go into the other things. That was the safe one. Um, and so mystery is a part of just our journey. This idea to find out why does this happen? What are these things made up of? And so science is always curious of trying to find out. Science is always looking at the mystery and exploration to find out discovery. And it's important that we recognize these things. When you go to a doctor and he says, you need to take this medicine for you know, your migraines or for your ulcer or for your arthritis or whatever that's going on in your body, you don't usually know the anatomy of what's taking place. Most of us. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think, okay, well, what's this doing? How is this medicine breaking down? And what's it doing into my blood? And what's it, you know, doing? You know, Gil might know, but I don't know. You know, and so I just take the medicine and like, oh, look at it. I can move my hands again. Hey, great. This is wonderful. But to me, it's a mystery. I don't know what's going on. It's just happening, and all of a sudden I'm feeling the effects of it. Well, so are the heavenly things. They're mysterious. And if our connection to God was like that of Nicodemus and the Pharisees and those who are part of the Sanhedrin, and they just were aware of what they learned through information and study, then it's going to be very limited if they don't recognize that there is much more, it's like knowing about medicine but not taking it. It's like, I can know all the information. Well, will that help your headache? Yeah, it should because of this property and this property and this property. Well, have you taken it? No, but I know it'll help. Take the medicine. And so heavenly things, he's speaking of heavenly things, he's speaking of things that are supposed to be taking place in our lives. And then he says, no one has ever gone into heaven. This is how someone who can talk about heavenly things is if they've been in heaven, right? It's like if you haven't been in Upland, you probably can't talk as well about Upland as us Uplanders. You know, don't know why you'd want to talk that much about it, but, you know, it's like, you, if you're from heaven, you can talk about these heavenly things. So no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And so here is the title and connecting Jesus' authority with who he is, his nature. And so he's basically giving his credentials here. I have the right to talk about these things because I'm from there. I can tell you about heavenly things because that's where I'm from. And so, listen, I can tell you all about it. I can tell you the best places to eat, you know, all those things. I, I've got the information that you need to know if you want to know about heavenly things. And then he gives the, the illustration, another illustration. 
just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And so the question, what is the correlation between Jesus and Moses lifting up the snake in the wilderness? This took place in the book of Numbers. And what would happen, book of Numbers chapter 21, is the children of Israel were grumbling against God. They were indignant at God. And yet God was taking care of them. And so what God did is said, okay, if you guys are going to be complaining, I'm going to bring judgment upon you because of your murmuring, your your grumbling, and your complaining spirit. And so these fiery serpents came and would bite them, and they would die. And then they cried out and said, oh, God, help us. We don't want to die, kind of like, okay, now we're sorry. We, we didn't mean all those bad things we were saying about you. We really still need you and recognize that we do. And so what God told Moses to do is I want you to take a brass staff and put a brass serpent on it and lift that up and tell the people that if they will look at the serpent, they will no longer die. And so I forgot to move the projector. It's getting hot again over here. And so the whole idea was now if you would just choose to look at the serpent on the pole, then you will not be judged. The judgment will pass over you so that you do not have to suffer this judgment. And so it was letting them know that there was a way out And all that was necessary was for them to choose to look to this serpent. And so now Jesus says, just as Moses did this, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What did the serpent represent? What did the brass represent? Anyone have an idea? Judgment, right? Brass is seen as judgment throughout the scripture, uh, just a type. And so the idea is here is their wickedness being judged, being put up on this stick. And Jesus is saying, just as that serpent was lifted up, so is the Son of Man going to be lifted up. And so you start thinking, well, is Jesus correlating himself with a serpent? What do you guys think? You're afraid to say yes, aren't you? What, Lola? The scripture does tell us that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so the picture is sin being judged. And if we would look to that, then we too can find deliverance. And you see, here is where we really get into the atonement and the importance of what it is. There is the necessity for us to not only be aware of and recognize sin, and sin means missing the mark, falling short of what our lives are supposed to be. And every one of us knows that we fall short. If I were to ask you, do you know 
the life you should be living, you'd probably say, yeah, I should be doing this, this, and this, or, you know, this is what I want to do. And then you say, are you doing it? And you say, no. Why not? That's basically because of sin. You know what you want to do, but you are weak in yourself to be able to do it. And it's something that has polluted our souls. It's something that has influenced our being. It's at the core of who we are because of the condition of mankind. And what needs to happen is there needs to be a healing. There needs to be a remedy. There needs to be someone who deals with that problem, someone who who deals with those things that we cannot deal with. And that's where Jesus comes in. And that's where the atonement and the cross, even though it seems like such a strange thing, there are times I'll sit and, and I'll think, how can this be that one man can die and it be enough for the sin of every human being? Anyone else ever think that? Or you know, I just sometimes I'll like, how does that work? How, how can that happen? But one of the things that has always drawn me actually to Jesus is just that. Because I know I need someone to deal with that in my life. I'm very aware of that brokenness in my life. Sometimes more than others. Sometimes it jumps out and it's obvious. Sometimes it creeps in and it's subtle. You know, you ever been in a position where all of a sudden you recognize just your pride or you you see something about yourself and you're like, "Oh gosh, that's not that's not pretty at all." And those times where I I see those things and I think, "Uh, oh, that's that's just awful." I take such comfort in that even though that is there in me, God is aware of it and God says, I'll take care of it. I'll deal with that. Because I I can't, God. I I don't have the strength to change my nature. I, I can make good choices and I can do these things, but there's something in me that needs to be changed that is beyond my reach. And I love that Jesus says, I know and I've dealt with it. And I don't understand the mystery of it. I don't know how the medicine breaks down and changes, but the mystery of it is it does. It does remedy the condition of our soul. And it puts us in a place where we can be right with God. And what's necessary? How, how do you get this remedy? What must I do to attain such a thing? Well, they looked and chose to look at the serpent. We need to choose to look to Jesus. And that's what faith is. I am going to put my trust in you. 
And throughout John's gospel, this word believe comes up over and over again. We're going to see it if you will believe. And the whole idea of believing is trusting in. It's putting faith in. Whoever believes, it's the idea of leaning on. And so as the Son of Man was, or as the serpent was raised up in the desert, so the Son of Man needs to be raised up. And when he is, just as Moses did in the serpent, everyone who believes may have eternal life. It means believing with our hearts that God is as Jesus declared him to be. It means believing that God actually cares about us, that he loves us, that God has this posture towards us, that God wants nothing more than to forgive us. And that wasn't an easy thing for the Jewish people to believe. And their mindset, it was all about keeping the law. And if you didn't keep the law, judgment was due. And so their focus wasn't the mercy and love of God. Their focus was the law of God and keeping all the ordinances. Otherwise, they would say the judgment is your, that's what's due to you. In fact, they were very quick to pronounce judgment, much like the churches today. And so it, it cost the life and death of Jesus to tell men just this that God loves us, that God is wanting to reach out to us so that we could understand this is his posture towards us. And we cannot begin to actually be Christ's followers until we believe that in our hearts. This is who he is. And so to be a follower of Christ isn't a person who just likes the teachings of Jesus or just likes the things he does. I mean, those are great things, and there's plenty to like in that, but it's falling short of what Jesus is telling us here because unless we trust that he is this person who is going to take the judgment of God, unless we believe that, then we don't get this life that he's talking about. And there are three things that we need to see that this belief in Jesus has. There's three elements that I I just want to touch on. I kind of did. One is belief that God is our loving Father. You see, when you believe in Jesus and what he's done, you believe that God brought about a way so that your problem could be dealt with. That God is our loving Father. Belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the one from heaven. And because of that, therefore, what he tells us about God and about life is true. So that's an idea of what belief means. Okay, believing that God is our loving Father, that Jesus is his Son, and that what he says is true. That's belief. I mean, it's simplistic, but I think it kind of captures the things that he's trying to present there. And so then he says, if you believe on these things, then you will have eternal life. The very life of God himself. Remember, eternal life isn't duration. It's not 
like we think, eternal life is something that goes on and on and on and on. Eternal life is life that is. It's more of the quality or essence of life itself. And so it's not like, okay, well, if you believe in Jesus, then you can keep on living forever and ever. No, if you believe in Jesus, then you're connected to the life of God. He brings you into that relationship. And that's why it's so difficult sometimes to to try and express things because we have in our mind just this whole chronological mindset because, you know, we're born, we get old, and then we're going to die. But... With God, it's not this chronology. It's it's not like okay, well, here's when you you know were born, and then here's where you die, and then here's where you enter into eternal life. No, if you have life, even though you die, yet you'll yet, yet shall you live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? It's like wait, is it one or the other? No, it's both. Life envelops you, and so. Jesus is trying to connect us to his life. We're connected to this life by believing that he is the evidence of God's love, that he took the price that we can't pay, the judgment that is our own because of who we are in our brokenness, and he then allows us this relationship with him that actually changes our nature and begins to recreate who we are as people. And we did talk about that quite a bit last week, just the whole idea of how a relationship will affect a person. You know, if you're going out with someone pretty soon, you start brushing your teeth or using deodorant or those kinds of things. Um, you care about your hair and those things. It starts affecting how you talk. You use different language. Same thing happens in our relationship with God. It'll change who we are and how we live. Any questions on those verses before we go on? Good question. Well, he's either talking about a different heaven. He's talking about a a presence of God, heaven, as opposed to just a place. Um, Where did Elijah go? Where did Moses go? It says they went to the bosom of Abraham, wherever that is. And so there seems to be a difference. And it's not just location. It's more, um, again, relation. You see, Jesus knew the heart of God. Just going to a place doesn't give you all the information of the place. You know what I'm saying? Like, I might go visit Hawaii, but it doesn't mean I'm a local you know, I can do this all I want, but I'm still, you know, a white guy. And so even though they went to, you know, the presence or with, were with God in some sense, I'm not sure exactly what sense, what the bosom of Abraham totally is, but it, it's not in the same relation as the son who came from heaven. That's what I think it means. Any other questions? Okay, make sure I didn't miss any here. Okay, verse 16. Here's a verse we know. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name 
of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now, verse 16 actually begins John giving a little recap. So up to verse 15 is Jesus' dialogue with Nicodemus. And then at verse 16, John gives this parenthesis kind of, I want you to know what's happening here. And so he starts off with, God so loved the world. First of all, recognize that it's initiated by God. That we love because he first loved. God is love, the scriptures telling us. Everything that God does comes from this place of love. This is the first time love is mentioned here in John's gospel. And even though it's a theme throughout this entire book, it doesn't show up again until chapter 13. And so here, love is presented and it's initiated by God. Now, What's any questions on these verses? Any things that stand out to you that you would like to address or talk about? You guys all know this one already, right? First of all, then, raise your hand high if you have any questions in the meantime. The world. God loved the world. What does the world mean? Right? It's people, right? You know, it's not the terra firma. It's God loved the humans who were in the world. God loved everybody. Everybody, everything, yeah. Everybody, everything. God loved the world. He loved the world so much that he sent his son. He gave his one and only son, again, giving exclusivity. So whoever believes, there's that word again. Believes, whoever believes in him. So... Who has the possibility to coming into this relationship of God? Whoever. Anyone in the world. It's pretty clear. I mean, it shouldn't, we shouldn't have to say this, but you'd be surprised how people can get very exclusive in how they dialogue. Because there's some people say, well, no, only the ones God chooses. Well, he says whoever believes. He says the whole world. And so the invitation is going out to everyone. And now there has to be the response, whoever believes, whoever is going to respond to this belief. Augustine wrote that God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us to love. I thought that was beautiful. God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us to love. And so Whoever believes in him, again, that's to put our faith, to put our trust in him and to what he's done. They won't perish, but they'll have eternal life. There's that life again. And so if we put our trust in Jesus, we're connected to the life of God. Putting our trust in Jesus, in what he did, and in who he is. Those things that we talked about. 
Establishing that relationship with God, with the person of Jesus, connects us to the life of God because of what Jesus has done. Now, verse 17 is an interesting verse. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. And that word condemn also means judge. He didn't send Jesus in the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. Think about that. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Do we come across as we're trying to condemn the world or that we're actually trying to bring salvation to the world? What do people outside think? Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn it. He didn't come to judge the world. Now, it's interesting because in John chapter 9, verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world. So how can that be true? How can he say that he didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but for judgment he came into this world? Came to take the place of this, our judgment? So when he says, for judgment I came into the world, that's for his judgment? To alleviate our judgment? Okay. Any other thoughts on that? You concur with me. You know, a few years back, family and some friends went to a comedy club, and we saw a comedian, and one of my boys was dating a girl at the time, and they were having issues. Um, and so we go to this comedy club and we're just rolling on the floor laughing. We're just, our sides are hurting. It's just hilarious. But they were just somber as could be. While the whole place is just erupting in laughter, I'd look over at them and she was just throwing daggers at him, you know what I mean? Just looking at him. And so, you know, it's hard to laugh when someone's stabbing you with stares. And so, you see, something funny was going on, but they weren't a part of it. And so, what really happened is their sense of humor was being judged. Their sense of humor was being exploited, if you will, their, their lack of it. If you were to go in a museum and there's this masterpiece, you know, Rembrandt or Leonardo da Vinci, this, this collecting masterpiece that over the centuries has just been renowned for its excellence, its artistic value, and it's invaluable, it's priceless. And you go to the museum and you say, you know what? I don't really think that's good painting. Well, you see, the painting has already been judged by time. It's already a masterpiece. So really, the picture is no longer on trial, but your taste is. And so, this is a masterpiece. You don't like it. It's revealing your taste. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And then he goes on and he says, 
But whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name or the nature of God's one and only son. You see, if you don't believe the masterpiece of God, it's pointing more to you than to the masterpiece. This is a masterpiece. This is the love of God. This is the goodness of God. And if you won't believe that, you stand judged because of how you dealt with this. And so it's not like God is telling you, if you don't believe in me, you're judged. What he's saying is, here is truth. If you won't accept truth, then it's going to be your judge. I know you guys who went through um, the community groups. I think it was on Why is Jesus the Only Way this last time. And so the whole idea of that, and Irwin does just an incredible job of bringing to, to bear, you know, there is no other God who has come for you. There is no other faith where God has extended his love out to you Every other faith requires you to earn its approval. Whether it's a a consciousness, you know, that you have to attain in non-theistic belief like Buddhism, or whether it's Islam and pleasing Allah and keeping these rules. I mean, there are all these beliefs that require of you to live the right life. And if you don't live up to God's standards, then you stand judged. And then here comes Jesus and says, you're judged already, but I have come for you. Again, there's that whole idea of the sin, the brokenness, and the remedy. And so now... If you won't take the medicine, you're going to stay sick forever. And so the judgment isn't God saying, I'm going to judge you. The judgment is you didn't accept the life that was offered to you. You stand judged already. You're already sick And so having this clarity of how we see these things is important because so many times we come across as if you don't choose our belief, then God is going to send you to hell. And that's putting a little bit of a spin on it. That's not really what Jesus is saying. I didn't come here to send you to hell. I I came here to save you. You're already condemned. You're you're already in a broken condition. I've come to save you. And so whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands or is living in this condemnation because they haven't trusted in his name. And so it helps us to see, I think, a little bit more clarity. Verse 19, it says, this is the verdict. Here's the judgment. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. 
But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The verdict is this. Light, truth, has come into the world, but people loved darkness, deception, instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Now, what do you guys think of when you hear the word evil? Do you think, well, I wasn't evil. Does anyone else think that? I mean, I might have been bad, but I wasn't evil. I mean, evil, I think of, you know, people who hurt children. I I think of, you know, mass murderers. That's what I think of evil. But I think we have to have a different perception of evil, that evil isn't just the people who do things that are horrendous. Evil is something that will keep a person in deception, something that will keep a person in the dark, something that will, a person will hold on to instead of the truth. And so there are a lot of things that are evil. There are a lot of things that we hold on to that are lies. And the whole point here is, is that if light comes into your life, exposes what's really happening in you, I don't care now if you've said a prayer and if you believe and okay, I'm trusting in you, Jesus. If God shines a spotlight on your life and reveals to you a condition, whatever that condition is, there's something here in you that is not right. There's something in you here that is tainted, that is disease that is sick that is broken and you choose to ignore that and just keep doing the religious thing i'm still going to go to church i'm still going to you know do all these things but i'm just going to ignore this thing in my life you see that's the condition that that's what god is here to do it's to shine the light. And the reason you're not letting go is because you don't want to. You know, I, I need that addiction. Uh, I need this vice. I, I need this place emotionally to, to live. And so when God shines his light on those darkness, the reason we stay in the darkness is because that's where we want to be. And again, they loved the darkness instead of the light. The, the, the necessity to live in the life or the light of God is to fall in love with the light of God. You see, you will do what you love. I, I've shared that with you guys before. You can know the right thing, but if you love the wrong thing, you will make the wrong choice. You will do what you love. If I find out what a person loves, I will find out what they will do. And so what we need to do is love well. We need to love the light. We need to love the truth. How many people who say they are people of faith 
do not want to know the truth about themselves and will turn a blind eye because let's face it, the truth hurts. When my wife tells me the truth about myself, it's never a pleasant moment. Okay, it's never like, oh, thank you, dear. That was so sweet and wonderful. Not that she doesn't say it in a sweet, wonderful way. But exposing truth hurts. When we're having a conversation, there's a problem in our relationship, and she says, here's the problem. I never think, oh, man, that feels so good. So glad you told me that. I'm self-centered and selfish. I, I feel much better now. It's never easy. It's like, ouch, that stings. But if I love the truth and I love the light, then I will go through the sting to get to what I love. And so if there's an area in your life that you're not in line with God, disobedient, whatever you want to call it, where there's a a divide between you and, and what you know is right. I can tell you why you're there and why you won't change. It's because you don't want to and you love this more than that. Well, how do I how do I how do I change? You need to fall in love with that. How do I fall in love? Well, again, that's a matter of relationship. That's a matter of recognition. God gave himself. He hasn't come to condemn you, but he's come to rescue you. You're condemned. Do you want to live in this position? Do you want to live condemned? Because whoever, verse 21, lives by the truth. I love that it says the word truth. Lives by the truth. Not by the law. Not by the rules, the regulations. Not by the religion. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. You see, every person who lives by the truth will come into the light, no matter where they are. I had a conversation with a friend uh, a while back, and he was telling me about um, some people he knew that were atheists. Because I have these friends, they're atheists, they're so far from God. I said, wait a second, wait a second. Stop thinking that way. Stop thinking they're so far from God. You don't know that. Saul of Tarsus was so far away from God and one day he became Paul and he changed the world. And it happened in one day. You don't know where a person is and anyone who lives by the truth will come into the light because Jesus' words come echoing, I am the truth. I am the life. You want to know what truth is? You can see it in me. You want to know what life is? It's revealed in me. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's not saying everyone else is wrong and I'm right. He's saying I'm life. He's not being exclusive. 
He's actually being generous because he's come for you. And so whoever comes to the light so that they may be plainly seen that what they have done has been done, get this, in the sight of God. Oh, if my life was lived with the reality that everything I do is in the sight of God. Every now and then that just echoes in my heart and, and, and takes root. But then there's those other times where it's like, nope, God doesn't see me now. The windows are closed. Doors closed. God can't see. But everything we do is done in the sight of God. Your thoughts are in the sight of God. That your the things you entertain in your mind are in the sight of God. Now, that can make you real nervous or it can push you to a good place because he doesn't condemn you. He doesn't condemn you. He's come to rescue you. From what? From you. From you. Any questions on these last verses? Any thoughts? Yes. Yeah, I, I think you know, I think that's a question a lot of people ask. Actually, it's a great question. You know, belief and trusting in something went like we talked about it a little bit last week. What what God does is change the essence of who we are and he kind of ruins you forever. You know, it's the kind of thing where when you enter a relationship, it's like if you had if you had a boyfriend and he was the boyfriend, you know, he was the nicest, sweetest, generous, most handsome, just greatest guy in the world. And then you broke up with him. You'd be kicking yourself, you know, the rest of your life. Oh. I had the guy, you know, he was the one. And, and so there would be that place in your heart for that person. I think God does that to us where people, it was, there was, I forget the gentleman's name. He was, he worked with Billy Graham and he was actually the person who used to do some of the announcing for Billy Graham. And he moved away from faith and left. And when he was being interviewed years later, he still wasn't walking or, or in living in a life of belief, they said, well, you know, all these things that happen, um, you know, what do you think now that you're here and looking back? And he started crying and he says, I miss Jesus. And I think that's what God does to you. You see, I don't know if you're still a person of faith or not. That's not my decision. I'm not the one who judges. If you have been changed by God, I think you've been ruined forever by God. You know what I mean? It's like you've been, he's put his mark on you and you will never be the same. And you might be miserable till the day you die. And you might be stupid until the day you die. And you might be a, a lamb that falls in the mud and stays in the mud till the day you die. But you will always long for what is there in your heart. If you don't, maybe you never believe. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have that answer. I mean, Jesus tells us that we are to abide. Abide in me and my words in you. And then your life gets to grow. If you stop abiding, 
It's not like, well, then you go to hell, but maybe you just stop really showing the life that you're, you have, you know, um, who wants to live with that regret? You know, who wants to years later cry and say how I miss Jesus when he's there all along? You know, um, who wants to give up on that perfect guy? You know, if you can have him, you know what I'm saying? It's that kind of a a thing, I think. (laughs) I don't go out with guys, but that's what I think. That's a good question, though. Okay, let's pray. We're waning here. <laughs> Father, thank you for, again, your words. I, I pray, Lord, that we'd recognize not only um, what you've done, but that you did it because you care. You did it because you love us. You did these things because we are in need and Lord may we recognize that need may we answer that ache in our hearts for you may we see that you are the remedy for our life's condition and that when we connect to you we are connecting to life itself and Jesus because of what you have done it is the medicine for our broken souls. It is able to take care of this disease of sin. And Lord, we want it taken care of. And God, I am challenged again to to live a life that is in truth and is in the light of that truth that I would live in a way that recognizes that everything I do and think is done in your sight. Lord, if I feel conflict, may I see that conflict as a place where I don't yet love. And may I move to love you and seek you and know you more clearly so that I can indeed respond to your great love. And we do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.